0: Freaking first cut. Golly.
1: Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman. That right there. See ya, Najad. And see ya, my friend. It is finally come. The Masters and the DFS preview is no longer
0: on the horizon. It is here. It is here. And you might be wondering, for those of you watching on YouTube, and if you're not, why aren't you? But you might be wondering, where is Sia at? Like this is not his typical background. He must be in some sort of hotel room. The answer to that question is, yes, I'm in a hotel room. As of three weeks ago, I didn't tell anybody this, but I just I went on my own mission, Tiger Tracker. I've been tracking him. I am in a hotel room just down the hall from him as we speak, and I can confirm he is in Augusta. Of course, I'm making all of this up. Why would he stay in a hotel room? He's got some probably like crazy Airbnb or some house near Augusta, I'm sure at this point. Yeah,
1: before we went hot, uh, we caught you taking down the telescope, putting that away. You had all of your surveillance equipment up so that you could keep a real good eye on old Tiger Woods.
0: Yeah, they said the telescope and binoculars were intrusive. And I'm like, you know, welcome to 2022. There's nothing intrusive anymore. We can do what we uh, want. The only thing that's intrusive are these
1: darn fans trying to take away our one and done. Because they are making a move. They've flown past Kyle. They've flown past Sia and myself. And they're, they're, they're bearing down on us. And now there's $2 million on the line for first place. And the link in the description will allow you to vote on this week's one and done it's already in there remember when we go to our mega preview pod on tuesday morning you got to have your pick in so figure it out start scheming amongst yourselves in the chat and see a, we 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 need a week man we got to take we got to take back power i think from
0: these guys yeah, and I think it's going to happen. I, I think maybe, I don't know if this is the week. Uh, I wonder what the one and done is going to be this week because I think there's a couple names that people just really want to play this week. So I have a feeling there's going to be some overlap, perhaps not with Kyle and I, who are trying to, you know, the Chase Pack usually tries to get weird during events like this, but I don't know. It's fun. But yeah, I, we're going to, I'm going to pass the fans. I'm not even worried about it. The fans can talk all the smack they want, uh, led by, of course, Elijah. I'm coming after you now. I like being in the chase pack. I'm all about it. I'm going to pass you. It's going to be within the next few weeks. I There's two things I won't do. I won't doubt Tiger Woods, and I will not
1: talk trash to the fans. Both of those things generally backfire for me, Sia. So you are a, a much riskier man, much braver man than I
0: am. Well, I can foreshadow that I will be doing both in this particular episode. Oh boy. All right,
1: let's jump right on into this and I'll share my screen. Everything that you see will be from my website rickrungood.com and this is the course key stats tool and see, they're playing at Augusta National. I've heard of that place. That that's a place we go to every single year. There are a couple of changes this time around, but in terms of consistency, it's obviously the only major championship in which we get the same course every single year. There's a lot of good data and there's a lot of good information to go off for the Masters.
0: There is and and I think this is one of the ones Rick, if not the one, where you are really leaning on course history and some semblance of experience. Now I'll tell you, that sort of narrative, which is a very proper narrative is going to Perhaps have me pivoting as we go down this list of players to guys maybe who either have bad experience or maybe possibly who even don't have experience just because I know those players are going to be lesser owned. So that's definitely kind of something to buck the narrative, a way to maybe get different in DFS.
1: Yeah, there are a couple of guys. I mean, even the young stars like Colin Morikawa, Victor Hoffman. Victor's only played this once as a professional. He was the low am, played it once as a professional. That's it. Sam Burns has won three times in the last year. Has never played the Masters. It's kind of a weird... Um, awkward situation, Sia, where we've had a couple of guys with kind of these meteoric rises, and then you look at a golf course where history has been so sticky—arguably more sticky than any other course on the schedule—and we start scratching our heads because a lot of people just write off all these
0: rookies. It's true, and and so here's the thing: you're, you're it's appropriate to do that, I, except for when it's not, and in DFS you have to consider some of the players that people are not playing. And so that's not always going to be just the guys who don't have experience. It might be guys that just people don't believe in or who have bad experience here, but you you do want to factor those into to some of your analysis I think when you're talking about single entry and three max, I think you can afford, if you want to, to be a little bit more conventional. But I think when you get into the bigger tournaments, or if you just want to be different in those single entries and really start passing people, some of those names, again, that we are going to go over, I, I think they're in play. Yeah, the experience might not be there, but there's other things that are going for those players that I think need to be factored in.
1: If you're watching on YouTube, you're looking at a chart, which is a regression model in which I look at the last dozen years of stats for every player and look at the results for every course. And we start to find trends for the types of golfers that play well at specific courses. And it's really kind of one thing that stands alone here. See, it's driving distance. Only five other courses on the schedule is driving distance more valuable. And I actually could argue that this does not even take into account how important it will be in 2022, obviously number 11 and 15, they've both been lengthened. So the scorecard yardage is now up over 7,500 yards and it's been a little wet in Georgia. There is more rain in the forecast for Tuesday and even Thursday morning. We'll see how that pans out. I think there's a situation in in
0: which this version of Augusta National plays quite long. Yeah, moisture and and something that they always do, which is you know, cut the grass the opposite way in terms of the fairways and things of that nature. So like if there's going to be less rollout as it is, but then you add that moisture that's coming in today, tomorrow, Wednesday. So all of those things factor in. I'll tell you, when I when I visit a course, and I mean visit from a DFS standpoint, <laughs> that, that everybody's like, Oh, you gotta have you gotta have bombers. I, I I very often sort of buck that trend. I very often say, okay, well. That, I understand that's the narrative, but I think there's other golfers that can succeed here, and I know I can get different that way. Here, I don't think I'm going to do that. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to take some shorter players, but for the most part, this is one of the few tournaments all year where I'm really focused on length. And, and there's some obvious reasons behind that, Rick. You just showcased them, but you know, if, if you're wayward off the tee – you can survive here. And I think that is just as important as the fact that the the course is going to play even longer, perhaps in the 7,500 plus it, it, it is.
1: Yeah. Hitting the fairway, generally not a huge issue at Augusta national quite wide in most of the lines that these guys play through. Okay. We're going to jump into the cheat sheet and we will probably go player by player for a while. See it. Cause I think that's the way to handle our super bowl. But first we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. Okay, see you. Here's the cheat sheet. And I want you to notice something extra special. I've got projected ownership on a Monday because the – how about that? We talk about it all the time. Now we can actually put it to good use because uh, the slate's been out so long. The odds have been out so long. I would love it if every single week – just give me give me the pricing the Saturday before – that week right that, that's what i want i don't want it monday morning i want it saturday morning and i could have projected ownership for us every single monday
0: i don't think that's too much to ask we're looking at you DraftKings. i mean what's the deal here i i, I love this i love this component especially because we have a compressed player pool we have what, what we see on rickrungood.com we have the 92 players but realistically we're only really choosing from and i'm ballparking it here like 70 to 75 players 50 and ties make the cut so You are like one thing I want people to really understand is, yes, there's going to be more six of six lineups, but also when you're looking at the ownership percentages, some might be a little eye popping. But when you condense this field down to 70, 75 realistic selectees, you you are going to have a higher ownership percentage basically across the board. So that's definitely something to to figure if you have a guy, for example, that is, you know, 15 percent owned. That's really not nearly as high as you think. It's still high. It's still a little high at least, but it's not nearly as high as a regular 144, 152, 156 person field. The number one golfer
1: in the world, Scotty Scheffler, is the most expensive golfer on the slate. $11,000. See, I'm projecting him about 18% owned. And that's going to change as we get closer to Thursday morning, but nobody hotter than Scotty Scheffler at the moment. How do we handle him for this week's
0: Masters? Yeah, so it's a fade for me. One thing I can tell you, you know, when we did the the, the initial show, the initial DFS first look, which was, I think, last Tuesday, we, we kind of thought Scotty would be maybe a little lesser owned among this group because of the price and because people are just going to be so in love with guys like JT, for example, or Dustin Johnson for, for good reason but we're noticing that the ownership percentage for, for Scotty is is pretty high at least relative to everybody else. I mean, he's right in that John Rom Range he exceeds a lot of the people in this upper tier. So, I don't really see a reason to pay the price for Scotty Scheffler. Like I understand he's number 1 in the world, but I mean, is he is he better than than some of these guys up top? I'm not really sure. I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. I see his history here, it's pretty good. And if you want to make an argument, if you really wanted to make it like a metrics argument against Scotty Scheffler, and i'm not saying this is a good argument i'm saying it is an argument the argument is well if you look at his his ball striking metrics versus some of the other guys in this range it, it, it frankly it's it's great but it's not quite as good as some of these other guys he is really leaning on the short game the the around the green and the putting which of course is going to be really important here but my point is this isn't such a transcendent ball striking Stretch he's on relative to some of these other guys, where I'm like, okay, I just have to put Scotty in my lineup. If he was 10% or 12%, different story.
1: Yeah, in the last 24 rounds, Scotty Scheffler gaining six tenths of a stroke on approach. That's worse than uh, Justin Thomas. It's behind Victor Hovlin. The short game. Uh, That's around the green plus putting 1.2 strokes gained per round. That is by far the best in that $10,000 range. You're seeing his uh, job right there on that analysis Uh, for me, probably a pass on Scotty Scheffler. If he was 8% owned, I'd be a lot more excited, but we're going to get to a couple of guys in single digit ownership at cheaper prices that I would probably prefer. Not there just yet. John Rom $10,800 made a, a run in the WGC match play. He has been phenomenal at Augusta national. I, I think I would just prefer to save the 200 bucks, have the same ownership and get Rom over Scotty Sheffield.
0: Yeah, I would prefer that. I'm not going to play either of them though. I, I just, with John Rom, I I can legitimately say that the short game really scares me at this point. And we talked about this weeks ago. We're like, well, you know, he can turn it around and he hasn't really done it yet. And so I understand in the match play, he looks to have turned it around to some degrees to some degree, but I just don't know that I want to lean on that. I think I'd rather lean on guys who have a better all-around game in this particular uh, elite range. So uh, John Rahm's going to be out for me.
1: Yeah, John Rahm did gain around the green and with the putter at the match play, but while those numbers are official, they are a hair wonky because match play, there's concessions and they don't always put things out. So it's just kind of weird. I use it as a reference point. Certainly do not uh, use it as gospel. Dustin Johnson is the first one that catches my attention here, Sia, because he's 10,500. He is sub 10% in terms of projected ownership right now. Obviously the victory in 2020, the runner-up finish in 2020, 2019 dj starting to look more like vintage dj again
0: yeah I, I love dj here and i will say this i will predict that this number is going to climb a little bit with respect to his ownership and that's fine he, honestly he's one of those guys that unless his his ownership number is you know close to 20 percent, I'm, I'm just gonna play dustin johnson I, I i love what he's done lately obviously his history here is amazing but he's been pretty good the match play He was fine. He was good at the Valspar, at the players. He was really good. His big issue right now, as we can see here, is the around the green game. It's not pristine. But again, I don't think I'm not quite as worried about him because of his history here. So I'm going to just kind of try to write off the around the green game. I know what Justin Johnson looks like when he gets really hot. That's what I'm playing. Yeah, we're starting to see
1: that right now. And obviously, I believe it's uh, five top 10 finishes in his last six starts at the Masters and a victory during that stretch as well. JT already checking in as one of the most popular golfers on the slate. See, he's 10,300. I've got him at about 25% owned right now. For the last 90 days, I've been thinking Justin Thomas has a really good chance to win the Masters, but DFS is a little bit different. Uh, I I think it's really hard to play anybody in the 10K range who is going to be three times the ownership of someone else, right? Are you telling me that Colin Morikawa is, uh, or Justin Thomas is three times as likely to win this tournament than Colin Morikawa? I find that hard to believe. Is he three times as likely as Roy McIlroy to win this tournament? I find that also hard to believe. So as much as I love JT
0: in this format, it gets a little hairier. This is a, this is interesting to me because I can tell you that my most successful DFS week was two Masters – no, the November Masters. So I guess that would be two Masters ago. I'm trying to – two or three. yeah the, the, the November Masters. And I played a pretty chalky lineup. It was basically four chalky guys and one or two not-so-chalky guys. So I think – and that was a single-entry tournament, by the way. One of the big ones I finished second place. But you can get if you really like jt my opinion here is you can get away with playing jt and and that's totally fine i think once you get to the bigger tournaments with more entries i think it's it's a really good idea to go ahead and fade somebody like that but i can tell you from experience that in these single entry ones you can get different elsewhere if you really think jt is going to win this tournament Just just go ahead and play him. But I understand your reservation there. With all of that said, I agree with you. And I've heard what you've said about Justin Thomas in the past on on this show and on 300 yards to unknown. Uh, JT has a great shot. His game is is really good for this course. He probably should have won. I shouldn't say that He, he very well could have won last year if not for the rain delay. So JT is definitely high up there for me.
1: Yeah, I have already bet Justin Thomas to win. I will have to figure out what I'm going to do for DFS purposes. Colin Morikawa is next, and I've got him checking in at about 8.7%. Guy with already two major championships on the resume, $10,200. I think he might be playing better than people realize, See, You go back to even summit club so he went second at summit club seventh at the zozo he won the dp world tour fifth at both the hero world challenge and the century Tournament of champions then he had that one bad start in abu dhabi and he missed the cut of the players on the wrong side of the draw outside of that it's been pretty darn good runner up at genesis and he got out of his group at the match play
0: yeah i don't have a problem really with with colin or victor hovland to be honest with you i like they they have experience here. Their experience here is actually pretty good, given that when they were here, they were pretty new to Augusta. I, I think if the ownership stays low for both, I'll I'll tell you this, and I I, I guess we got to go back to your screen to see what the ownership is for uh, Colin versus Hovland. Very but close. I th- yeah. I'm thinking I'm preferring Victor Hovland here over Colin. both of their short games are are questionable so that's kind of a wash especially around the green at least in the last 24 rounds and, and historically it's it's pretty it's choppy for both of them. So I think I prefer Victor Hovland here over Colin Morkawa, but I think they're both fine plays. I'm certainly not going to be ignoring them if if I'm looking at some of the guys I'm going to play in this range, it's definitely DJ. It's definitely a little bit of Thomas, but not as much as I'm. I'm probably going to be playing DJ, and then it's one of those two guys. It's Colin or Victor Hovland, probably Victor Hovland. But if Colin falls like well below Victor Hovland, which I don't think he will, then I'll, then I'm I'm happy to play. These are elite guys, you know. This is one of those situations, Rick, where it's day three of the Masters, and Colin or and or Victor Hovland are like, you know, nine or eleven or twelve percent owned, and people are just, you know, hitting themselves over their head like, well, h- how could I have possibly ignored? these two guys. And so if they remain ignored, I'm all aboard.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think the changes that have been made around Augusta National since last year, the three new greens, lengthening of 11 and 15, I think it helps Victor, right? He's going to be putting some awkward spots around the greens. Everybody is going to be, but he's such a deadly driver of the golf ball. The bailout areas have kind of changed a little bit. I think it helps these guys that can hit those long irons really, really well, like both Victor and Colin Ken. Rounding out our $10,000 range here, see you. Rory McElroy, flat 10K, eight percent projected ownership at the moment this is another one that i think as the week goes on as more casuals get involved and they see rory's name and they understand he's trying to complete the career grand slam i i think if you made me bet i think he comes in over eight percent but missed the cut the valero um that was him playing his way into the masters for the first time in a while is it is is rory not in good enough form to win
0: no, and I'm sorry I even left Roy's name off when I, when I just ran over the, the three or four golfers that I'm going to play in this range. I think Rory's a fine play. I I don't know how much, you know, you're talking to a guy that plays a lot of single-entry, three-max, as opposed to the MMEs, and I'll probably have, I don't know, between 10 to 20 lineups, I'm guessing. I don't know how, maybe 10 to 15, actually. I don't know how many I'm going to have, Roy, but, you know, I, I got to have them here and there. I'm not worried about the Valero, to be perfectly honest with you. I I'll, I'm happy to treat that as a tune-up. Prior to the Valero, I thought he was... He was fine. And I I like his history here. I mean, people are going to get on him about not winning, but his placements here are really good. You know, outside of 2021, he's been fine here. And, and, you know, anytime you're finishing fifth place or seventh place, what that really means is you were, you know, a shot or two away from winning the thing. You know, one wayward shot, if you will, or one bad putt. So I I think Rory at that price is kind of a bargain. So I, 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 I don't mind recommending him at all. The $9,000 range
1: starts with Cam Smith. He's $9,900 and see, He is projecting to be one of the highest-owned golfers on the slate. Obviously, the Players' Championship victory he won earlier in the year as well. He has three top-ten finishes in his last four trips to Augusta National. It is a perfect storm. People were already betting cam smith to win the 2022 masters as the 2021 masters ended because that market is live 365 days a year and now we're here and we probably couldn't even have imagined that cam smith is in this form right now so let's have the chalk conversation you said it's okay to play a little bit of chalk
0: can we can we do it here and do most lineups start jt cam smith so I have a soft spot in my heart for Cam Smith for a variety of reasons. One of which is that, that really great masters I had in November, uh, he was in my lineup and he just absolutely crushed it with a, with a second place finish. Now, a lot of the criticism there was, okay, well that was in November. How's he going to do wh- when it comes around in April? Well, he did pretty well, you know, in, in a 10th place finish. I, so here's the thing though, if I'm choosing among chalk or at least between chalk with Cameron Smith and Justin Thomas. I'm actually going to play Justin Thomas over Cameron Smith. The one watch out I have with Cameron Smith, and we're looking at it right now, I was off the T numbers can get really shaky. And it's yeah. not just that he can sometimes be wayward, it's that he doesn't really have the length. Now, the, the the counter to that, obviously, Rick is well, that hasn't really bothered him in the past. But if you just add up all the conditions that we're going into this week, I think it's conceivable that it will catch up to him this week. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying when it comes to chalk, I'm happy to fade that chalk and just ride some of the other guys that I like that are popular.
1: Yeah, and there's an argument to be made when you start getting to 27, 28% projected ownership, you could fade anybody. That that mm. argument gets a little weaker at Augusta National, as we've talked about. But yeah, if Cam Smith goes out and wins the players and the Masters and wipes me, Fine. I'll take it. $9,800 Jordan Spieth. Oh God, we got to have this conversation. Uh, I'm at eight and a half percent owned right now. See ya. I, I, again, that's a calculation with key indicators and it's going to change over the course of the week. And there's going to be a lot of general public people getting involved. And of course, of course we could not enter master's week without Jordan Spieth gaining seven strokes from T to green in the final round at the Valero, Texas open, one of his best single rounds in five or six years. And now he gets to go to Augusta National where it's just the elite of elite course history. I have no idea what to do with this guy. His weapon (laughs) is uh, probably the worst it's ever been. He lost seven strokes putting at the Valero, another five and a half uh, wonky strokes at the match play, but he's been a consistent loser with the
0: flat stick dating back to really the fall. I was so mad that he shot so well on Sunday, not just because I didn't have him in showdown, but like now I actually have to consider him at the masters where he has such a good track record. I can tell you I'm going to be off Jordan Spieth, but that might be to my detriment. I I, not only did he shoot great on Sunday and he has the great history here. As far as the putter is concerned, this would be a lot more concerning to me because remember there was some talk about his swing over the last few weeks. Well, Looks like he did just fine there. And if you are going to recapture your magic somewhere and your fault, you're, you're faulty somewhere, if it's with the putter, I can, I'm willing to overlook that, especially if you're Jordan Spieth at Augusta. I am not going to get there. I can tell you that right off the bat, but it's, I get it.
1: I, I'll tell you this: I'd much rather play this version of Jordan Spieth at eight and a half percent ownership than this version of Jordan Spieth at eighteen and a half percent ownership. Mm-hmm. I I I see it too, right? If we're just waiting for his weapon to come back, and we know there's so much nuance and experience required on the green, specifically at Augusta National, I mean, just like just put to a zero, which is kind of a crazy thing to say about Jordan Spieth, but like I I, I see the path. I do see the path. Yeah, I see the path as well. I do. There's a comment in the chat that says "Happy Birthday, Rick" from Spencer. You are uh, five months early, but thank you for the sentiment on that one. Xander <laughs> Shoffley, ninety six hundred dollars, Sia, thirteen uh, percent owned, has a couple of top five finishes in the last three years. Xander, he's flying under the radar, bud. It's it's quiet right now on the Xander front.
0: Yeah, I, we've had this conversation before. I never get Xander right, and so here's here's what here's my advice to you. And I'm not. I'm not not talking to you. I'm talking to those who are listening. I'm not playing him this week, which means you should. I I don't know what else to tell you. Like I I don't think Xander's game is what the metrics show. I just don't. I, I just think he's just a model maniac. And at the end of the day, like he never. I shouldn't say he never comes through. Clearly, at the Masters, he comes through. There are other guys in this 9K range that I'd prefer to go to that will likely have lower ownership than Xander. I honestly think Xander's at 13. That's that looks right to me, but it wouldn't shock me if it goes up to 15 or so. And some of these other guys around him, like a Patrick Cantley, for example, drop a touch. Yeah, let's talk about Patrick Cantlay,
1: $9,500. He's had a mixed bag of results at major championships. I like that he's back on bent I think the last time we saw him on bent he gained about a billion strokes with the putter. He has been another one who is very difficult to figure out over the, uh, I guess just since maybe, I guess just since he won the tour championship.
0: Yeah. Since forever, actually. It's just, he's another one of those guys. And the cool thing about him is he's also flying under the radar, just, just like Xander is to a degree. And his recent play hasn't been very good. I I think he's, his ownership is probably going to stick in that sort of low teens range, which makes him very compelling to me. Now, looking at these numbers, again, you should be watching us on YouTube as well. These approach numbers are are pretty horrific, which is why for, for Patrick Cantley they are certainly, which is why I think ownership's going to stay relatively low, which is why I'm going to be playing him. He, again, we talked about this last week or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. He's one of those guys that just when you're off of him, he starts to show you who he is again. And and I don't know that it's going to be this week, but if the ownership stays low and we just had this conversation with Jordan Spieth, if him and Jordan Spieth are three or four percentage points apart, I'm happy to play Patrick Cantlay.
1: Cantlay or Xander, which would you prefer? Patrick Cantlay. I think so too, man. I love, okay. Xander's superpower is he has a super high floor. It's why he makes a ton of top 10s, makes a ton of money, and he's always going to be in the top 10 of the OWGR. It's an awesome skill. I wish I had it. Cantley's superpower is he might go out and gain 11 strokes with the putter and he might miss the cut. And those range of outcomes, Sia, especially in a week like this when you're trying to win the million dollars, I think that's more enticing.
0: I agree. Yeah, you're going to need your, you're, there's going to be a lot of six for six lineups. You're going to need your guy, especially in this range, to to stay hot for four rounds. And yeah, Patrick Cantlay can tank your lineup, but he can also be the FedEx Cup champion guy who can, you know, get you a second or third place finish and get you, you know, $10,000 in a single entry. Hey, Brooks, hey, Brooks Kepka, $9,400 coming off of
1: that Elite 8 run into the match play and a T12 at Valspar and some metrics that look a lot like, I don't know, last summer where he finished runner-up at the PGA Championship, finished T4 at the U.S. Open. I'm on record already. Love the way Brooks is setting up for this event.
0: Yeah, I I do too. And, And I'm looking... Now at so do you think that ownership percentage is going to be right? Because I think that's going to creep up a little bit. I don't know that I'm super worried about that, and it, and, it, and I'll give you a chance to to answer the question. I only interrupted you because I like Brooks a lot too. But if the if the ownership gets up to like that 18 percent range, I'll I may back off. I love him here. I love him at majors in general. This he's he's in great form.
1: I do think it will be higher than the nine or so percent that I have it at now because I also think the Hideki ownership is probably going to be lower. I mean, he was Hideki was nine percent last year. Um, and now there's just a lot of questions about injury and trying to repeat as a champion. It's just I I think Hideki probably comes in a little bit lower than that. I think Brooks comes in a little bit higher than that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think once you start seeing some of the elevated ownership, let's say, because we're about to get to Will Zalator's for example, people are going to be intimidated by that ownership number and they're just going to be like, all right, I'll, I'll pay 200 more. Not everybody, but they'll be like, I'll pay 200 more for Brooks Kepka. I'm happy to do that. I'll just tell you, I mean, uh, Hideki's next.
1: He's $9,300. He is still statistically one of the better players here in 2022. He obviously won this event last year, had a couple of good finishes before that can we play him like what? I don't know what the, I saw him on the range on Monday. I mean, he looked like he was swinging it. Okay. It looks like he wasn't going super hard at it. I um, I'm not sure what the path for Hideki success is.
0: Yeah. I think there's enough guys in this limited field where you can find leverage ownership, leverage other places. I don't want to get, I don't want to go with a guy who literally just withdrew because of an injury, like not four days ago. Uh, you mentioned Will Zalatouris,
1: 9,200. He is projected at the moment about 17%, so twice that of Brooks Kepka and Hideki Matsuyama. Zalatouris has played this event one time, finished runner-up last year, and he has probably gotten better since then, kind of emerged as this really elite ball striker. We saw some signs during the match play, Sia, that the putter is starting to improve. Can I sell you a little bit of Will Zalatouris?
0: absolutely. I mean, I hope his ownership percentage doesn't creep up to that, you know, 17, 18, 19 range, which it looks like it might be doing. I I like Will Zalatoris. I I don't know that I'm, I, you know, it's interesting. I think I like Cantlay and Kepka a little bit more, and that might be more of an ownership thing than anything, but Will Zalatoris was really impressive here last year. Not only did he gain in ball, he gained over six strokes ball striking, but he also gained over six strokes with the putter at last year's Masters to finish in second place. What that tells me is, Okay, so we we think based on limited sample size that he is comfortable putting on these greens. Again, I understand how limited that sample size is, but we also know that he turned around his putter and just in the the match play and actually gained with the putter for the first time in quite some time there. So you have that putting combination with what we know he does with the ball striking and what he's done at the Masters with the ball striking. It's actually hard to make an argument against Will Zalatoris
1: it certainly is. Just below him is Bryson DeChambeau, $9,100. I have him at 2% right now. See, I obviously tried to work his way back from the wrist injury, played the match play. That didn't go so great. Played the Valero Texas Open. Uh, that did not go so great. And now he goes to Augusta National, which he infamously told us for him is a par 67. Um, not a lot of great public sentiment on Bryson this early in the week.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's pretty dramatic when you look at his ball striking. And granted, a lot of this goes way back because there was that that long sort of injury timeout he had. It, it doesn't look good. Listen, I don't I don't know if he's going to stay at two percent or three percent, whatever it is. If he is, I'm certainly playing him, and at least like again, you're talking to a guy who's maybe going to run ten to fifteen lineups out. I'll play him, and if I'm playing ten lineups, I'll play him in one because it's just the ultimate ownership leverage. But there's nothing that really tells me he's all of a sudden in in great form or that he's going to be uh, emerging in great form. Uh, Yeah. So to put this into perspective, 2% owned, if you are
1: playing 20 lineups and have him in one, you are doubling the field, right? You have him in two. You're like really to it's You're not taking up a lot of lineups to get pretty significant leverage on Bryson. That that's how low the projected ownership is. At the moment, Daniel Berger rounds out the $9,000 range. He's 11% owned. See, last time we saw him, he was not getting out of his group at the match play. But before that, he had a good run deep into the Players' Championship and, of course, the Honda Classic as well. His history around Augusta National is, eh, it's okay. Hasn't played it every single year. Finished 10th here in 2016. How do we assess Berger's chances for this week?
0: Yeah, I like Berger more than most. And, and I'll tell you, I think his ownership is going to drop a little bit. I'm I'm just guessing, sort of projecting here. Not that 11% is, is that much in the first place, but it wouldn't shock me if he ends up being 10% or lower. I, I don't I don't think he's a great course fit, but I think he's really sneaky. I, I think he's the type of guy that you can put in a lineup. And if you know, if guys like Brooks, for example, or Will Zalatoris, like talk about getting leverage. If, if those guys tank and you have Daniel Berger, who really has been in, in really good form outside of the last two uh tournaments, the match play and the players' championship, the length of this course like frightens me a little bit for Daniel yeah. Berger, but not enough to say, okay, I'm I'm totally off of him. I think this is a perfect opportunity. To incorporate him in at least a few lineups if you're making multiple lineups, because we know Daniel Berger is the pedigree that that could absolutely top five this tournament.
1: I agree. I kind of liken this a little bit to Webb Simpson in 2020, where we were on myself included, it was like, oh man, a wet November Masters is not the place for Webb. And he finished inside the top 10. Berger's just that kind of good, just from T through the whole, he's that kind of good. I would not be surprised, even though if on paper, this doesn't look like a really good spot for him. We're going to continue and go through the $8,000 range. And then of course, find some value. But first we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. $8,000 range. See ya. This is the last range. We'll go player by player. Then we can kind of just handpick some guys because there's a lot. Um, I believe the $8,000 range is where all the money will be one. I think there are going to be some interesting leverage plays. Tiger woods is here. We've got a past champion in this, in this range. I, I, I love the eight case.
0: How cool is it that tiger woods is even in this range? How cool is it that we're like assessing tiger woods? Can let me just remind you of something where I sort of like guessed. Uh, co-hosted with you on your Scramble show that you, of course, do with Andy Lack on Tuesdays and Fridays. This is way, way back when you were first starting the show. And we were having this Tiger Woods conversation about how cool it is that we're even talking about the possibility that Tiger Woods is going to play again, whether it's this year or next year or whatever it is. And here we are looking like, I mean, I'm not guaranteeing anything, um, but looking like Tiger Woods is actually going to play. So that conversation that we, we had on the Scramble was like, I don't know, three months ago. And here we are talking about Tiger Woods playing at the Masters. I mean, that is really cool. I'll guarantee it. The guarantee is if he doesn't play, you can
1: get your money back for watching this uh, Watching this show. That's the, that's the guarantee. Money back guarantee if Tiger doesn't <laughs> play. Uh, Louis, who stays in, leads off this range at 8,900. Sia, Louis does Louis things. He's got a bunch of top 25s here at Augusta National. Is he someone who's going to be making your player pool?
0: So he kind of falls in the same bucket as Daniel Berger to me. He doesn't really have the length. He's certainly like less length than Daniel Berger has. He doesn't have the length, but he's also kind of a big game hunter. And in terms of guys like your Cam Smiths of the world that can just navigate a course and figure a course out and, and, do it with the short game, kind of do it with the the approach play. Louis is one of those guys. So if again we're looking at ownership percentage of him at, at like 12-ish percent, wouldn't shock me if that ends up being in the 10-11 range, which you have to understand in this field with this limited number of players is actually quite low. So I think again, he's one of the one of those guys. I think you want to pepper into your lineups. The finishing positions haven't been super impressive. I'm not saying to play both Louis and Berger in a lineup, I'm saying these two guys are more viable than you think, notwithstanding the fact that I do appreciate and like driving distance this week. Shane Lowry, $8,800, couple
1: of top 25s in recent years. He has been much better on approach than I think people want to give him credit for. There was a time, probably a year ago, Sia, that I would have categorized Shane Lowry as a short game specialist. That's no longer the case. I mean, go back to the Players' Championship of 2021. He rattled off like a dozen consecutive measured events in which he gained strokes on approach. He's in a similar stretch right now, four in a row. And then we had the the break where he played a lot of events on the DP World Tour. I, I don't
0: think people realize how good Lowry's been. They don't. They don't. We, yeah, and we've, we've been talking about him a little bit because his metrics have really jumped off the page. I, so he's a tricky one because his history here doesn't look very good. And, and the off the tee game can be a little spotty for Shane Lowry. I think he's an okay play. I, I'm definitely going to play him a little bit. I'm not super excited about it. Um, his his finish last. He had a t twenty one last time at the Masters. He gained over five strokes on approach. He lost strokes off the tee, which isn't an incredible surprise. He lost around the green, which I, I could see him completely turning around, and he gained with the putter. So I I definitely think he's in play. I I don't. I'm not in love with the play, but I, he's definitely in play for me.
1: Yeah, I probably like other guys more, but I like Shane. I like a lot of guys in this 8K range. One of them is Taylor Gooch. He's $8,700, And I think there is already, and this is kind of a weird dynamic I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, pricing came out very early, and everyone was immediately like, Corey Connors is underpriced. D- Taylor Gooch is overpriced, right? Mm-hmm. That was like the immediate reaction. And I've got Taylor Gooch at about 2.5% owned right now. I'll tell you, I agree that Taylor Gooch is too expensive. I don't think I care. I like the way Taylor Gooch sets up, and at only two percent, I kind of feel like I could be getting a steal because the industry has already written him off.
0: Yeah, so a player being too expensive. So this is all—it's almost like like myth, mythical at this point. That is a bad thing, but it can also be a really good thing because if he's too expensive, it's so expensive that people don't want to play him. Well, then all of a sudden you found your leverage. Find your find your your cheaper guys somewhere else. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, obviously he doesn't have experience here, but he does have the game. He is a good course fit here, in my opinion. Yeah, and he's he's in good form. Listen, even if that, even if that ownership doubles, even if it gets to five or six percent, I still yeah. think he's a good play. Even if it quadruples, geez,
1: I mean, I mean, look at, yeah. okay, so what I love about Gooch is, uh, yes, he loses strokes off the tee, but he does it uh, because of accuracy. He's actually longer than he is straight, so 65th in distance, 94th in accuracy. Well, we already talked about, pretty easy to hit the fairways around Augusta National. Then he turns into a really, really good approach player. Like, that's his strength, which we know is going to be important, so his biggest weakness I don't think is as big of a weakness, and his best strength, I think, is even more more important here. He's got
0: a decent enough short game. Hey, give me a two and a half percent owned Taylor Gooch. There's a lot of guys that fall into that Taylor Gooch bucket that we just talked about, like Louie, Daniel Berger, where they're not necessarily super long off the tee, but they, if Cam Smith is another one of those guys, but they can make up for it in other ways. And honestly, if, if you're building, you know, if we're, if we're building like segments of lineups, yeah. Maybe that's one of the narratives you go with. Maybe you have like, out of your 10 lineups, you have a lineup where it's like, all right, I'm not going to really be focused on length with this lineup. I'm going to be focused on, you know, just ball strikers in, in short games. So I definitely think he fits in that box.
1: Sam burns at $8,600, 12% projected ownership at the moment. And, um, see, uh, he has won three times, uh, on tour. He's never played the Masters cuz all three of those wins have come in the last 12 months. Just kind of a weird quirk with the scheduling and the invitation process, but here we go. Sam Burns is now what I think a lot of people believe is is live as a debutant.
0: Yeah, I I would probably agree with that. I haven't, you know, in the few lineups I've made, he hasn't made the cut, but there's not a really good reason I can provide for that other than his lack of experience here, as in no experience. Everything else just kind of jumps off the page. The approach play is great. The off the tee game is okay. It's, he's obviously losing a little bit there lately, but I'm not super worried about that. And the short game is there and he can get hot with the putter. Like he's, he's checking most of the boxes outside of experience. Now his ownership isn't you know, as low as like a Taylor Gooch, for example. But if it stays in that 10%-ish range, I definitely think he's a good leverage play. Okay, it's time. Tiger Woods uh, looking to make, we don't have the official word at the
1: moment, but I've I've actually already bet on the fact that he's going to be playing. So that's where my money is. And uh, see, uh, it'll be the first time we see him in a competitive event in... 17 months, I believe, is the last time we saw him in an official OWGR event. It was actually the 2020 Masters. And um, I have him at 3% owned. I can tell you, the model doesn't know his name is Tiger Woods, right? Like, the model doesn't say... Guy hasn't played in 17 months and he's the GOAT and everyone's going to play him. So I'd be very willing to wager that his ownership is uh, probably closer to like
0: 10%. Yeah, I think it's going to be lower in your like higher end single entry contest. I don't think people are going to go there with him, but I definitely think in some of the bigger tournaments with a lot of entries, you're going to see a, a decent amount of Tiger Woods, certainly more than I'm going to have. You know, here's the thing. I think a lot of people, even even the people who are playing sort of maybe like the higher stakes or maybe who are a little bit, you know, more skilled in the DFS realm, they'll probably pepper in some Tiger Woods. I mean, like in other words like 10% Tiger Woods, like one out of 10 lineups, because they want to have that moment where when he's doing well if that actually happens, they're like, "All right, well, you know, now I can I can I'm able to root for him because I at least have him in in one or two lineups." I don't think I'm going to have him in any I'll I'll just go ahead and take that sort of, that, you know, gain the leverage there by not having any of him. I just, I'm, I'm speculating. I just don't see it over four days, him having the requisite upside that guys around him have. And so, I mean, the 8K range, you could certainly make an argument for him, but I'd rather make an argument for other guys. I'm trying to take his name out of it and not have the rooting interest. Yeah, if you take his name out of it, he's pretty
1: objectively a bad play at 8,500, considering we have no recent form. We have no idea what he's been up to. I will say uh, I bet him to play it. I bet him to make the cut. Those are what I think the two plays are. And I and I think he's going to at least play better than we expect for one or two rounds. As the week goes on, we know it's going to get harder and harder. But I think uh, <laughs> this could always burn me. Objectively, I think he's a bad DFS play. Yeah, Even I, I my money otherwise
0: i mean it's if there's no i think about it he's objectively a bad dfs play because like the, the question becomes like what goes into a good dfs play and it's you know is it is it strokes gain metrics is it recent form like the only thing he should the box he has checked right now unfortunately is is the the history at augusta which is a big box to check but he doesn't check any of the other boxes right now and so there's too many other guys that check too many boxes. I, I can't I can't go with my rooting interest here. That's that's like the big thing you don't want to do when you're either betting on sports or or playing DFS, is have a rooting interest in it. Sung J M is eighty four
1: hundred dollars, finished runner up in the twenty twenty masters to Dustin Johnson has cooled off a little bit. See he was really hot in the fall and then starting into twenty twenty-two. But is Sung Jay a guy who can make some noise this week?
0: No, I I don't think so. Uh, Listen, he's lost off the tee three tournaments in a row. He's lost on approach five out of the last six tournaments. Uh, You know, obviously he can pop there. He just hasn't shown it at all lately. The around the green game and putting game, it doesn't really make up for, he can absolutely pop with the putter, but it doesn't make up for what's happening with the ball striking. So Sungjae is just a no for me.
1: Okay, how about Adam Scott, who has won uh, this event before, obviously. He got out of his group at the match play. We're starting to see a bit more consistency
0: out of Adam Scott. Is he someone you could roster? Yeah, we talked about him on our early look show last week. Uh, I, I like Adam Scott. I, I'm starting to sort of, lo- like, I liked him a lot more last Tuesday than I do today. I think he's a fine play. I love the experience. I love how the game looks to be coming on outside of the the around the green game, which which doesn't look very good at all uh, as of late, or actually really going back to August of 2021. I, I think you can play the experience card. I think that's fine. I think he's a good price. I'm probably going to end up pivoting, though, to the guy right below him.
1: Okay, that guy right below him is, oh, I like this one too, Joaquin Neiman, $8,200. Why would you pivot from Adam Scott
0: to Joaquin Neiman? Yeah, he's rating out really well. And and the, the only problem with Joaquin that I see right now is that that ownership, like, first of all, it's a little higher than I wanted it to be. And I wouldn't be shocked if it creeps up even more because he's in a really nice price range where he fits into a lot of lineups. And I can tell you, that we're not the only ones talking about Joaquin Neiman. Like in the industry, a lot of sharp people are are talking about Joaquin Neiman in terms of how well he's waiting out in models. I really wish that wasn't the case because I really want to play a lot of him, even though he, he is a little scary, the history here isn't great, but if you look at the recent form, whether it's approach, around the green, off the tee, buddy or better gained, DK points, which of course is really important and perhaps underappreciated, he rates out really well in all of those metrics, last 24 rounds, last 36 rounds. So he's a really good play at a really good price in my opinion.
1: The other thing you could argue is that some of the comp courses are Kapalua, uh, Mirfield Village, Riviera, places that have, uh, in Kapalua's case, it's it's the undulation, it's the uh, awkward lies and wide Fairways at at Riviera. It's kind of the emphasis on on long irons and and distance. And then Muirfield Village obviously was kind of designed with Augusta National in mind. And if you throw those three courses kind of into the comp machine, uh, Joaquin Neiman does very well. Obviously won at Riviera and has played well at the other two courses as well. Tony Finau, 8,100 Sia. He's got three top tens in the last four years. Uh, Again, if Finau wins, uh, I'll be fine just surviving without.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of the, the, I don't want, I don't want to ever say I'm like a never anybody guy, but I haven't been on Tony Finau in so long. I'll admit that the price here is a little compelling. If you take that price and and you look at his recent play, I mean, listen, five out of the, wow, actually, if you look at his last 10 tournaments, he is truly gaining in, in a pretty big way in the ball striking department. It's the around the green game. That's been a really big problem. But again, we treat around the green game a little bit sometimes, like putting. Maybe we shouldn't, or at least I should say I do. And we talk about it with John Rahm. Oh, he can maybe he can flip a switch. We talk about it with some guys like that. Tony Finau potentially could could reverse course on that end. And if the ball striking stays the same, I can see him being a value at eighty one hundred. If you if you consider his history, I'm not a big fan of Tony Finau, and I think he can really fall apart. But if there was a place for him to really, let's say, boldface his turnaround it would probably be this week, considering he has momentum going into a place that he's had very good success.
1: Yeah, okay. I mean, I I, I would not be surprised, but I will not be invested in it. Then finally, yeah. at uh, $8,000 flat, Terrell Hatton finally broke through and had a good finish in 2021 for the first time in his uh, master's career. And he had a runner-up finish at the API. He played well at the players and the Valspar and even uh, made a run at the match play. Terrell Hatton is playing good golf right now. I don't mind this one bit
0: yeah he's playing good golf he's he's not going to make the cut for me i mean he rates out pretty well across the board I, actually it's pretty much below average in terms of this range is concerned but it's it's just a no for me the the history here is is fine the recent form is fine i just like the upside of some other players here
1: All right, see, uh, uh, I think we're going to abandon the every player strategy from now, and I'm just going to open up the entire $7,000 range to you. There are a couple of names that have my attention, and I will point out that Corey Connors, as of right now, is projected to be the highest owned golfer on the slate. I have him coming in at about 31% back to back uh, top tens here playing well, and that price you know, as we talked about when this when this uh, slate came out, uh, that was the immediate reaction is that Corey Connors is about a thousand dollars too cheap. So you're seeing that now. But how do you start to break down this ten thousand dollar range?
0: Yeah, it was the seven k range. Yeah, so it was it was Corey Connors and Matt Fitzpatrick when we did our early look show that I thought were going to carry some some popularity. I mean, the Connors number is staggering. If if that stays like, I'll say this, 7K chalk is usually bad chalk. I think, you know, we've kind of come to accept that. That doesn't mean you never play 7K chalk, but man, if this is anywhere close to even 25%, I'll have them probably in zero lineups only because I, like, I get it. The recent form is good and the history here is good, but I like other guys. I'd much rather play Matt Fitzpatrick at at the high teens number than I would Corey Connors at, at anything like 25 or 30%. I like Matt Fitzpatrick. And I think. You know, listen, this is one of those situations where people are going to look at Matt Fitzpatrick. Granted, he's getting popular, but they're going to look at Matt Fitzpatrick versus, let's say, Corey Connors. They're going to look at their histories. They're going to look at their recent form in terms of finishing positions. They're They're going to come to the conclusion that Connors is the better play. I'm not so sure that's true. I want to take advantage of a Matt Fitzpatrick that has been really good in the ball striking department and is a really good course fit here. In my opinion, the finishing positions don't really show it. But um, I think he's trending upwards, so I like Matt Fitzpatrick over Corey Connors. Of course, I like them both in terms of you know playing them in this field, but I, I like Fitzpatrick the best.
1: Uh, Yeah. Fitzpatrick, I think has my attention. He'll be somewhat popular. 19%. I don't mind Russell Henley either. I have him checking in at about 18% as well. Henley has not played the Masters since 2018, but he had a couple of, uh, you know, top 25 finishes in 2018 and 2015. So, uh, certainly keeping my eyes on Russell Henley, uh, and then maybe, oh boy, um, Mark Leishman, I think it's kind of interesting, right? Leishman can kind of pop from time to time, and obviously the good history around Augusta National. Who else in this range? See is worthy of maybe a click or two.
0: So I have a pivot off of Leishman that I think is good, but he's not as much of a pivot as I thought it would be because he's the same ownership, which frankly shocks me because he's never played here. It's Max Homa. I like so in this in this range here. I do agree with um, Mark Leishman, although I will point out. His ball striking just the last few tournaments has been pretty bad, so that's kind of like a big watch out for Mark Leishman. Max Homa, the ball striking has been excellent, so I I like Max Homa here. He's crushing in the ball striking department. He has the length to compete with the big boys here in terms of off the tee. Um, you know, cut in twenty twenty one, but that was due to bad approach play. So I think he's he's in good approach form to maybe turn that around. Uh, so I think Max Homa. I'm hoping his ownership goes down a little bit. Uh, But I still I I don't mind him as the at the ownership he's at right now. The other name that I would consider would be Robert McIntyre, who's
1: playing well all over the world, finished 12th here last year. And there is a bit of a lefty narrative, which, by the way, uh, if you have a narrative lineup that you want to throw out there, C is world famous for this. But I want to open it up to. The rest of the listeners, the viewers. If you have a narrative lineup, throw it in the chat right now. We'll see if we can get to it at the end. There's kind of that lefty narrative uh, there, Sia, where these guys, it's just kind of a different, it's different angles and the way that the fairways uh, slope. It seems to be better. Obviously, Bubba Watson and Phil Mickelson and Mike Weir have all donned uh, the green jacket kind of disproportionately for left handed players. So if I needed a guy at flat 7,000, I'd probably take McIntyre.
0: Yeah, he he makes sense. I mean, Brian Harmon is another one of those guys that that finished twelfth here last year and and sort of fits that narrative. The one watch out with McIntyre, as it relates to his twenty twenty one finish at the Masters, he lost ball striking. He lost one point one seven ball striking, and he gained a whopping six point six with the short game around the green and putting. So that's not exactly. Listen, you're going to need the short game. So I'm not necessarily being critical of that. But when you have that high finish and you lost in the ball striking department. It doesn't exactly inspire a ton of confidence as it relates to that finishing position. If you want to make arguments for other stuff in terms of recent strokes gain metrics and things of that nature, I'm all for it. But he's not going to be uh, in any of my squads. The six thousand dollar
1: range. Uh, I think I'm in on Gary Woodland. Only took me, you know, four top twenty fives in his last five starts, but uh, Gary is sneaky long. Okay. So I was just kind of messing around with, um, driving distance and also guys that are playing well, just because I, I think distance is going to be key. So I just looked at like the last 40 rounds and there are 10 guys that have, are driving at at least three ten and gaining a half a stroke per round. Gary Woodland's one of them. And it, it looks like we're getting good Gary again, which is not only good for him and exciting, but I think it makes him a decent play this week.
0: Yeah, I love him. You know, I, I've been on this guy for for about like four or five tournaments in a row. Back-to-back top fives at the Honda and the API, 21st at the Valspar, 8th at the Valero after having a really troubling Saturday. That's kind of a theme with him. I've noticed his Saturdays haven't been really, I mean, it's just random, um, haven't been really good the last few tournaments, but overall he's been really good and, and he, he doesn't, like at 6,900 it's just too good of a value, in my opinion, to pass up. I, I agree with you. I think he's trending upward. I think we're seeing the Gary Woodland that we saw you know, a couple years ago, as opposed to the Gary Woodland we saw last year. And uh, I'm all for him at $6,900. Uh, who else in the $6,000 range would you consider clicking? So this is a tough range that I don't want to be, I don't want to live in, to be honest with you, because again, pricing at majors, as we know, is relatively soft. So I think you can get away with just skipping the 6K range and constructing your lineup how you want to construct it with 7K and above. There's a couple guys that intrigue me that don't have any course experience here, uh, which, I, you know, those two things, those are, that's kind of paradoxical. They don't necessarily go together. It's HB3, who I think is actually a great course fit here. And it's JJ Spawn. Listen like JJ Spawn is a good golfer like we we all need to come to terms with that and it's not just because he won last week. Listen, he's 6700. He can absolutely miss the cut or just crash and burn if he makes the cut. But the reality is he's playing too good of golf to ignore at this point. He's been doing it for weeks at a time. He's been doing it for at least three to four weeks at this point in terms of the ball striking in the all-around game. He he showed the moxie to actually finish a tournament after having a double bogey on the first hole with about five or six guys chasing him. So I just really like where his game is at, and, and I'm not sure we've fully realized the idea that J.J. Spawn might actually be a force on the PGA Tour for some years to come. I'm not saying a force like – you know, like a Patrick Cantley type guy, but just a guy that's going to be sort of in that, let's say, HB3 conversation where it's a guy we'll always consider in the 7K range for years on end. So I, I like HB3. I like JJ Spawn. I would consider perhaps Brian Harmon and Kevin Na. I'm just really not in love with either of those two. Tom Hoagie is out there. I I can't decide if I think he's the caliber of player yet to really succeed and flourish for four rounds here, but I don't think he's a bad play either.
1: HV 6,600 JJ Spawn sixty seven hundred. I don't even mind friend of the pod Sepstraka sixty six hundred hits it far playing well had a top ten the to players championship as well. Um, okay, so here we are getting some we are getting some interesting little narrative lineups out here. So let's see. Uh, I saw one that said uh, State of Georgia from Corey. State of Georgia. Now, would you would you say? They're from the state of Georgia. They went to college in the state of Georgia because we could do there's about a billion of those guys that we could get to.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could go Georgia Bulldogs, but I I think maybe he was talking about, you know, living or growing up in Georgia. I'll I'll tell you this. I've gotten some really good lately, the last couple of weeks, some really good direct messages. And I, I encourage either sending me direct messages or just, you know, putting it out there, tagging first cut pod, maybe, you know, whatever you want to do with your narrative lineups. I'll tell you, and I, this is going to disappoint a few people but I don't have a narrative line for the masters yet. I am going to put one out there in in the Twitter sphere for on behalf of the first cut pod over the next day or so, but I wanted to make it good. And I was getting so many suggestions uh, via direct message. And some people that were just tagging me on Twitter that I was like, I kind of want to call through these and like put a fun one out there, whether it's one of mine or, or somebody else's. So I love the fact that people are kind of like glomming onto this. I think it's really fun. And I encourage you to uh, maybe Jacob can handle how you want to handle it, but whether it's direct message or tagging first cup pod, I'm all for this. I think this is great.
1: Yeah, just just tag us. That's probably better. DM is, a, trust me, a very unreliable way to receive uh, messaging. How about Jeff saying injury narrative, Tiger, Paul Casey, Hideki, Abe answer. We could round that out with, I don't know, guys that often – WD. Maybe we could throw like Kevin Na into that. Well, group.
0: Maybe we also could throw- Webb Simpson. Did he include Webb Simpson there? Oh,
1: Webb Simpson. We could put in there as well. Yeah. That would be injury concerns. That's a good one. Okay. Let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, players. Oh God. Players with master's degrees. Um, Oh, that is excellent. Have to do some research on that one because I'm-, I'm not sure how many of these guys have masters and how I- we'd have to find out some
0: way. That, that that's a good one. There probably aren't six players who have master's degrees, but maybe we could kind of stretch it a little bit. Maybe their mom or dad is a PhD. Who's, somewhere. Who's the most
1: likely guy to have a master's, you know, in, in football, we hear constantly that, um, geez, I almost called him Matt Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard, right? It's all that's you right. ever hear about who's the most likely
0: master's degree guy in this field are we doing this just based on basic, basic appearance and just what we know about them? Because that's the only way, I'm that's the only way we're going to be able to do this. Adam Scott comes to mind. Adam uh, Scott looks very like cerebral. A classy, a classy uh, master's degree guy. If you interviewed him. And by the way, if you did, he'd win the masters. If you interviewed him this week, oh. but if you, I, I, I suspect he has like a, a, a catalog of books behind him. Like one of those guys that has like a library behind him or something like that. Um, Seamus Power is a pretty smart guy. I think. You know what's interesting? Uh, I was literally looking at his name as you just said that because again, he doesn't have experience. But I do want to point out he will be an extreme leverage play. He will not eclipse five percent. I promise you. By the time this this tournament tips off, he's going to be at five percent or lower. I think he's an interesting play there. But listen, I'm off subject. So let me go with let me let me pick another guy here. Patrick Cantlay. I'm not giving a
1: lot of credit. Yeah, Cantlay could be pretty smart. Where'd he go? UCLA. Man, I don't uh <laughs> I don't give a lot of these guys a lot of credit. <gasps> Maybe I should. I don't know. I don't know, man. Master's degrees is pretty tough, but that's that's a good one. Jacob says the alliteration lineup works this week. Who would that mm-hmm. be, Jacob? We could do you got uh you got Scotty Scheffler, Abe mm-hmm. Answer, Corey Connors, Luke List, Kevin Kisner, Sepp
0: Straka. You also have Harry Higgs and Cameron Champ. So you got a little bit of Ooh. a little bit of play there. Champ is sneaky. He might be my sixth guy in over
1: Straka, by the way. Did we do um remember we did that alliteration lineup? We didn't do that on the air, right? You told us about that after we went hot. I right? realized afterwards, yeah, there was there was like four of the four of the six that made it through the match play, I think were alliterations. Yeah. So the match play alliteration lineup, which uh we did not talk about on air, we talked about it afterwards, um, after it had already started, would have like won a lot of money. See it, right. It would have won like five grand in the $20 in the $20 contest. It would have finished like 10th.
0: It would have won almost every single single yeah. entry or, or, or three max or at least placed top two or three. It, I think one of my biggest regrets in life is not coming up with that as a narrative for the match play. I was so into the it factor because with match play modeling, it you know, sort of takes a semi-back seat because you, you've got the head-to-head thing. So I, I went that way instead of the alliteration lineup, but that was a very good one.
1: Uh, how many lefties are in the field? Bubba, McIntyre, Harmon, fills obviously not are there enough lefties to get through there're only 3 of them uh i think there's only 3 as i scroll through all right so we can't do that one can't do lefties oh here you go 4 we are 5 if you want to go to past champions we are 5 <laughs> can i find one more there's got to be one more i don't know if i can um all right see anything uh anything else before we get out of here
0: uh, I don't think so. I, I think, uh, you know, try to try to fit a six for six in here, but try to hit some upside. And, and I will say this, and, and I mentioned it on the the first, the early look master show we did. I think Rick is right. The 8K range might be the, the the place to really find some leverage in terms of roster construction, because I think a lot of people are going to live in the 9 or 10K range, and they're not going to and then they're going to like grab one guy in the eight k range and then go down from there. So just when you're building lineups, keep ownership in mind, but keep roster construction in mind as well. I forgot to ask: Do you have any first round leader wagers? Yeah. Keep an eye on the weather. That is a good question. I haven't actually. Do we do do we have a weather report in terms? I mean, I Thursday
1: mornings kind of maybe some rain, and Tuesday is supposed to be the wet day. Uh, but it seems to clear up after
0: that. So Thursday might be a little bit wonky. We'll see how it shapes up. I'll give, uh, so I'm not going to give five out because I don't have five, but I'll just give a couple out that I like. I like DJ at 25 to one. Ooh. I like Adam Scott at 45 to one. Ooh. And then I'll I'll go with Joaquin Neiman at 55 to one. I'll add two to that list. And, and I promise to tweet it out. I will tag, I will tag uh, at first cut pod as well. But th- those are the three that I'm interested in so far. Uh, schedule for this week, quite extensive. So
1: Tuesday's mega preview show is at, uh, what time is that? 1 PM Eastern as I do the conversion, right? 10 AM Pacific. Yes. Uh, in which you have to have your one and done selection in before that. So make sure to get it in right now. Link is in the description. Then on Wednesday, we have a live stream, which is going to be at 1 PM Eastern. Do a lot of question and answer, fun stuff there. Uh, Thursday, we have a Twitter space, and Friday we have a live stream as well. Jacob, am I reading that right? We have multiple live streams, or did I have do I have that wrong? Yeah,
2: yeah. Friday, we're gonna try
1: another little live stream. So we're going Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then post round recaps as well. Absolutely. Thursday <laughs> is just gonna be a little Twitter spaces action because you know we're gonna we're gonna test out the new the new social media. Wow, as they say, we are cooking. Business is booming, as my good friend, Antonio Brown would say. All right. That was fun. Producer Jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes. Sia Najad, available on Twitter at Sia Najad. You can find me at Rick Run. Good. This has been the first cut. We'll catch you next time.